Hey, let's, let's pray together. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for the people who are here and for the people who are watching and listening online. I just pray that you would be with us today, that, that we would celebrate you well, that we would honor you well, and that you would move in our hearts, that we would draw closer to you today, and that we would recognize that, uh, that you are the powerful controller of all things, and that includes everything that takes place in our day today. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat if you would. I'm going to call a couple of audibles at this point and just kind of come from here instead of there. So you can do with the stage lights, whatever you want to do with the stage lights. And, and I think maybe Marcia might have to stay up there. But if you guys want to come down here, you're welcome to do that. You're, uh, if you, you don't, I'm not saying you have to come down here, but if you want to, that's okay. And so, like I said a second ago, thank you guys so much for being here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, I might be a little more interactive with this today than I would normally be during a regular sermon. Would that be okay if we, if we talk just a little bit? We might do that. And so, um, have you guys ever played that game where you've tried to figure out who's the greatest of them all? Have you ever had that argument about who would win in a fight? Would Batman or Superman? Have you ever had that argument? Have you ever had that fight? So evidently that is a thing for my generation to do. Gen X, we have definitely, we have, we have definitely had that argument. Actually, we have that argument so much that we've actually um, we've made movies about it. And so um, in, a, in a fight, there's one coming called Godzilla versus King Kong. So which one do you think? Who's, who's, who's for Godzilla? Who's, who says Godzilla's going to win? Who says King Kong's going to win? I say King Kong's going to win. It's because King Kong's smarter and I saw the original because I'm old, right? So actually, if I were to be really technical, I would say what's going to happen is they're going to fight for a little bit and then there's going to be a bigger bad that they have to fight together. I think that's really like, like Batman and Superman. So in that fight, who would win? Batman or Superman? Batman or Superman? Batman. You know what the coolest thing about Batman is to me? I think Batman would win, actually, because Superman leads with his head I mean, and I don't mean like he's smart leading with his head. He just like goes right into it because he's just convinced he's invulnerable. And ultimately, Batman's just a guy in a cool suit, right? He's a smart guy in a cool suit. I like that. There's something about that that I'm like, this is cool. So who says Batman again? Who says Superman? I didn't. I persuaded everybody. This is good. I like it. That's really good. Okay, now let's go back to the, how about the real? How about the real? Who's the best, best greatest of all time? Jordan or James? Jordan or James? Who, who is it? Ah, see, this is a generational divide now we've got going here. I like that. Uh, you have trained yours well. That's really good. And I'd, I'd love to see that game played because that can't possibly be a real picture, right? And I do think it's interesting that we call them, we call people like that the goat, right? The greatest of all time. Isn't that a cool statement? The greater the goat. When I think about what we're looking at and what we've been looking at in Colossians is really the greatest of all time, right? Jesus isn't simply popular. He's not simply prominent. Uh, Jesus is preeminent. That word means he's greater than, right? He's greater than everything else. And I love the beauty of the acronym that we use, that he's the GOAT, because when I think of what's coming with Easter and Lent and the, the, the Easter season, you know, part of that whole Passover process was the idea of the scapegoat, that, that all of the sins of, all of the sins of, of the people of Israel would be placed onto the head of the scapegoat, and then that scapegoat would be sent out of the camp to carry its sins with it. How you doing, man? 
It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. <laughs> and, and didn't stop. You just kept on going. That's nice. I am glad you're sporting the Canada hat today, though. That's a good, good thing. It's nice. And so I just love the idea that Jesus really is the greatest of all time. And he's, even in the Old Testament, he was being called or compared to the scapegoat, right? And he was, he was even doing that. So that's really good. That's what we're seeing in, in, in Colossians, uh, excuse me, Colossians today. And so let's, uh, let's look at our passage for today. And we're going to see a variety of other things. And we'll just talk about those things as we go. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 17 are where we're going to be. And hey, let's do that thing we do where we stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Uh, Let's do that together. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 11. And we've just been seeing some things in the book of Colossians that I think are incredible. There's actually four warnings in Colossians chapter 2. The first chapter is really all about how Jesus is greater than. He's the preeminence of Christ. The second chapter brings with it, hey, based on the fact that he's greater than, here's these four warnings. And they sound like let no one you know, disqualify you because of plausible arguments or because of vain conceit that comes from crazy philosophy. And we're going to see two more of those today. But if you look at verse 11 is where we'll start. It says this, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath or whether you come to church on a snow day. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then when we finish reading a passage like this in this context, we'd say, this is the word of the Lord. And you would say, praise be to God. That's right. Have a seat. So when I look at that passage, I see a number of really incredible things and their principles. I think when I read scripture, I don't see, I sometimes see things inside scripture that are a reflection of me. But mostly scripture is not about me, right? Mostly, not, not mostly, scripture is really all about Christ. It's the story of God. It's his story rather than my story. But what I do find in Scripture are a number of principles that can be applied to me. And so today, if I were to put a name on what we're talking about, I would call it the EST principles, E-S-T. And the reason why I would call it the EST principles is because everything that we'll talk about today has to do with something that ends in EST-T. Most of them end in E-S-T. So this, these EST principles, the idea that Jesus is greater than, well, what greater than what? Well, he is the great test, right? And so uh, I think sometimes we struggle with these EST principles. And so the first thing we're going to see is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so the first est that we'll see is that Jesus is greater than your best decision. He's greater than your best decision. Um, if you were to say, and, and this, is, this is not like a typical sermon at this point, I'm just going to ask you to, just for a little feedback, if you were to tell me what you think the best decision you've ever made is, what would you say that is? What's the best decision you've ever made? Guys, it's Valentine's Day. 
There you go. Good job, Jonathan. There you go. Very well done. Bruce, Valentine's Day. Yeah, there we go. Good job. There you go. Best decision you've ever made. Yeah, he's greater than the best decision you... <laughs> Someday. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe. Whatever. Whatever God wants. It's all good. That's good. Yeah, we make lots of... I, I know you guys. You've made some good decisions. You've made some best decisions for your life. But truthfully... Jesus is greater than all of our best decisions. And in this context, where it's talking about circumcision, a physical act to represent a spiritual reality, right? That's what circumcision is. It's this physical act that the children of Israel committed in order to reflect this spiritual reality inside their hearts. And I just, I love that. Um, first off, when I think about the nature of circumcision in that time, I'm thinking to myself, that's a big deal. Um, that's a, that's a, quite the devotion that they had, that they would commit this physical act in order to reflect an inward spiritual reality. And then, as I read the passage, what I see is, is God saying, Jesus is greater than that. He's greater than the physical act of your inward reality. He's greater than that. He's not just given you a physical change to illustrate your devotion to him or his devotion to you. He's actually done better than that. He's actually created a spiritual reality inside your heart, a circumcision of your heart that really peels away, that cuts away all those things that would cause your heart to be hardened against him. Isn't that amazing? That's, I mean, read that verse again, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And when I read that, I know, I mean, for those who are here this morning, all of you are serving in some capacity in ministry. You're here because you're devoted to Christ and you're devoted to the church and we're devoted to one another. And that's awesome. And I'm so very thankful for that. And I just think it's so cool that, that you're here. And I just think it's so cool that we revere these traditions, right? But Jesus is greater than those traditions, right? He's greater than the best act of devotion you could ever work. The best work, the best act, the best decision you could ever make. And I'm afraid that sometimes we get caught in the reverse of our, uh, we, get, we get caught up in, in the realities of the reversal of a truth. We sometimes believe that we are significant because of what we do for God, right? I think we've all been there at some point. Um, God, I want to show you how good I am. I want to show you how much I love you. And I want to demonstrate all these things. And there's nothing wrong with devotion. Now, don't get me wrong. I want, to do, I want to be pleasing to God. I want to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. I want to be that guy that God can choose, right? That, hey, he's ready. He's trained. He's, he's, he's devoted. He's, he's faithful. I, I want to be the guy that... that uh, well, there was an old song a uh, long time ago. I want to be a man that God could write about thousand years from now that you'd read about a servant of choice who found favor, a man who heard your voice. It's just a great old song. I want to be that guy, but I'm not significant to God because I'm that guy. I'm not significant because of what I've done for God. Let me say it better than that. You're not significant because of what you've done for God. You're significant because of what God's done for you. That's that circumcision of the heart. Have you... Uh, Ever had that moment where you got up and you didn't have your quiet time, your devotional, and then you have to go shopping later in the day and there's no parking spots right up front? And you're like, God hates me because I didn't read the Bible this morning. I'm going to have to park a thousand miles away 
That's not really how it works, right? That's not how it works. You're not significant to God because of what you do for him. You're significant to God because of what he's done for you. And when I think about that, I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he started it, that he will complete it until the end. He's not the, the author of your faith. He's the sustainer of your faith. He's not just the one who encourages you to do right. He's the one who empowers you to do right. And so if I were to say, well, what should we do about that? If that's true, um, if Jesus is greater than my best decision, then what should I do about that? Well, you should relax, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you just relax and let the grace of God carry you? Just let the grace of God carry you. I think it's interesting that you don't see Jesus using the language. We use this language in church all the time. You don't see Jesus using the language of accept me, right? You don't see him using, but you do see him use the language of follow me. Man, how hard is it to follow somebody? Well, on my phone, I just push a button, right? And now their stuff just shows up in my life. And if I needed to get from here to there, and because Jonathan knows Tulsa way better than I do, I'd just say, you lead, I'll follow. I wouldn't have to think about where I'm going apart from keeping my eyes on Jonathan, right? So relax and just follow him. Let the grace of God carry you. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. That's just, and we just kind of keep going with the ests. And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, here's an est and here's what we do about it. So he's, he's greater than your best decision. Here's what we do about it. We relax. Follow him. Let the grace of God carry you. Uh, as, I, as I tell you, these ests, I wonder if there's an est that you struggle with more than the other. We might struggle with all of them, but I wonder if there's one that, that catches your heart or catches your eye more than another. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it says... Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Well, that's a pretty bad day, isn't it? When you're buried, it says you've been buried with him in baptism. Well, that sounds pretty good. So Jesus is greater than your worst day, right? He's greater than your best decision, but he's also greater than your, your worst day. That day, it, without Christ, right? That day of our death is a pretty bad day, right? Leading up to our death, for some people, might be a pretty bad series of days, right? But Jesus is greater than that. He's greater than your worst day. And he uses baptism, I think, as an illustration of that, which I think is incredible because baptism is another one of those things that's the, an outward physical symbol of an inward spiritual reality, you heard us say a minute ago, we're going to have a baptism celebration next Sunday in Owasso. It's not the outdoor version of the baptism, by the way, so we're not going to do that. Um, but if you know someone who needs to be baptized, that's awesome. Why would they be baptized? Well, not so that they can be right with God. They would be baptized because God has made them right with him, and they want to tell the world that. Look what God has done for me. See how that works? So absolutely, baptism is an act of obedience, and we want to be obedient to our Father, right? In that part of following him? If I'm going to follow Jonathan to the naughty pig, man, that sounds good right now. If I'm going to follow him there, then if he turns right, I should probably turn right, right? Because I don't know where I'm going. He knows where I'm going. So Jesus says, be baptized. Okay, I'll do that. And it's those simple acts of obedience, right, that demonstrate that we're following him even on our worst day. Why? Well, because Jesus is greater than our worst days. It really kind of begs the question, what are you refusing to follow him in, right? On your worst day, sometimes we make terrible decisions because it's our worst day, right? I have an excuse, but 
What if we just followed him in those moments? And you know, um, I, I think we forget that the fact that Jesus is alive, it changes everything. It changes everything. So I'm going to ask you guys to illustrate this point. So instead of me providing an illustration, I'm going to ask you guys to illustrate it. On some, in some of the wor- you don't have to tell us about the worst moment. You don't have to tell us the story because um, we, you know, we have limited time. But, but in the moment of one of your worst days, have you experienced the grace of God in your life? And how has, he, how has he moved in your life? How has he proven to you that he's greater than one of your worst days? How's, how has he done that? You, you can provide the illustration. Convicting you? Because he disciplines those he loves and he corrects those he loves? That's good. What's another? Any other examples of that? I'm sorry? Comfort from other people. Yeah. How Lofton and Elise are having a pretty bad day. Um, uh, Elise was hit by a car yesterday and she's been in surgery this morning and she's doing fine. She's uh, Fine is not the right word. She's doing better, which is the right way to say it. It's a pretty bad day. But man, if my string of text messages are any indication of the number of people who care for her and him and are trying their best to help, what an incredible thing God's done by giving us one another. It's just beautiful. What an incredible thing God does by when I turn left and I should have turned right by lovingly going, hey, you're not, that's, it's not that direction. The good stuff, it's, it's over here. Oh, okay. And he lovingly moves me back. What a great, great thing that is. And so if I was to say Jesus is greater than your worst day and you just keep, stu- you keep yourself stuck in the worst, well, what should we do about it? Well, we should confess, right? We should confess. God, I can't make it on my own. You know the direction. You know the way to go. You know what's right. Way f- far better than I do. And so when we realize that he's, he's, he's greater than our best decision, we just relax and follow him and let, our, let his grace carry us. And when we realize we're right in the middle of the worst moment of our life, whatever that worst moment may be, well, then confess. I can't make it, God, on my own. Maybe the confession is about sin, but maybe it's more simple than that. You were talking about the confession of sin. You know, he corrects me back into righteousness. You were talking about the care of God's people, which I think is awesome. Maybe the confession is, God, I really do need all these people. God, I can't make it on my own. God, I need, I need help. So just recognize that. Honor that and walk in that and live in that. It's better than our worst day. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it says this. This is pretty incredible. <clears throat> and you who were dead in your trespasses. Let me just ask a question real quick. What can a dead guy do? Nothing, right? Yeah. According to Pirates of the Caribbean, dead men tell no tales. They can't even tell a good story, right? They can't even do that. What's that? Yet they drive the whole plot. How is that? Doesn't that just feel like our world today? All the dead people drive, all the, drive the plot, right? Um, but isn't that amazing, though? You and I, before Christ, are completely spiritually dead. We're completely unable on our own to do anything, which just points us right back to the very beginning idea that anything significant about you isn't about what you've done for God. It's about what God's done for you. He's brought you new life. He's brought you to life in Christ. And you who were dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And here's how he did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the est here is that Jesus is greater than your biggest debt. He's just greater than your biggest debt. I don't know what your biggest debt is right now financially. Uh, for some people, debt is just this insurmountable obstacle. And there's an entire generation of people going, please cancel my student loans. Please cancel my student loans. And politically or financially, whatever you believe about that is not really the point. But how much freedom would that entire generation feel if their debts were canceled? I have a mortgage on my house. How much freedom would I experience if someone would just cancel my mortgage? How beautiful would that be? And you know what the argument politically against doing that is, right? Someone has to pay the price, right? Someone has to pay. And isn't that exactly what this says? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. How'd he do it? He nailed it to the cross. So it's not just that our debt goes away. It's that Jesus paid the debt that we owed that we couldn't possibly pay. This is like old home song month or day for me because I'm reminded of an old song from the Dawson McAllister student conferences we would sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Jesus is greater than your biggest debt. And that debt really is all about the sin in your own life. He's greater than all of those things. When I think about 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I think that's beautiful. He's canceled your debt. He canceled it by nailing it on the cross. Have you followed him in that? Have you trusted him in that? Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you sought his grace in your life? Have you done those things? Because he's greater than our biggest debt. But here's the thing that you know, I'm compelled to do. I'm compelled to do this because of his grace. I'm compelled to do this because of his life and because of his mercy. And because he canceled my death, uh, debt, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in that moment, my, my sons and I have these, we play these games um, that are just thought games. Somebody will walk up and go, Dad, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it right now? And it's always the same kind of sets of things. I'd give some, I'd save some, I'd pay off the house, I'd make certain everybody's college was taken care of. You know, all those things that you dream about when money shows up, right? All those dreams that you have. And in none of those dreams does it ever sound like, you know what I'd do? I'd go back into debt again. It doesn't sound like, you know what I'd do? I have a, if you give me a million dollars, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go buy a $5 million house because I could do that. I could show the bank, look, I've got a million dollars in the house. They'd use that as collateral. They'd give me a loan. They'd give me a bigger house, right? Isn't that how banking works? If I suddenly had a million dollars, nobody, in, when we play that game, nobody immediately says, I'm just going to go back into debt. So, if Jesus is greater than your biggest debt, if we realize that, then what should that motivate us to do? It should motivate us as much as possible to remain debt-free. And at that moment, I'm not talking about money, right? How do we remain debt-free? 
Well, we recognize that Christ has paid the sin debt for us. So now, based on following him, can I order and structure my life so that I can avoid temptation? Can I do that? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. I'm now free, so I can. Actually, in Romans, you hear about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says, because, of, because I'm a slave to sin, I'm dead to, I'm dead to Christ, I'm dead to everything else. It takes a supernatural act to bring me back to life. And all that I deserve is, is punishment. All I deserve is death and hell, right? That's what Romans talks about, the law of sin and death. But when you jump to James, James talks about the law of liberty. And those of us who are walking in Christ, we don't live under the law of sin and death anymore. We live under a new law. It's the law of liberty, which says I'm free. I'm free from the law of sin and death, so I can follow Christ. I can be obedient to him. I can recognize temptation and avoid it. And when I stumble into it, I can confess and get out of it. I can do all of those things. And so if I recognize that I'm struggling with Jesus is greater than my biggest debt, what should I do? I should remain. I should remain debt-free and just keep following him. That's what I should do, which essentially means just don't go there. It's, a, it's an amazing thing in Proverbs chapter 4. We won't turn there. We won't talk about it much. But um, it just gives this great advice to the guy who's thinking about going down the wrong path. It says, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. It's a four-step process. Avoid it. Okay, what do I do with temptation? Well, I avoid it first. If I know it's a trigger that's going to cause me to stumble, I just avoid it. If I find that I'm on the street where, it's, where it lives, right? If I find that I'm near it, avoid it. Do not travel on it. If I find that I'm on the street where temptation lives, I should probably just get on another st- street, right? I should just, let's, let's just keep going. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Oh, I'm not just on the street where it lives. I'm right in front of its house, right? I should probably just turn away and go somewhere else. Just turn away from it and then pass on. Okay, now that I've turned away, I can just pass by. I don't have to give in to temptation anymore. So I don't know what it is that's tripping you up or eating your lunch or causing you to stumble or hurting your life, but you really do have the ability to avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, through 17. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath or whether or not you come to church on a snow day. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, that's one of the multiple no ones. Let no one disqualify you because of plausible arguments, because of vain philosophy, those kinds of things. This is one of them. And next week, I'll end up covering all four of them, but I'll be in Owasso covering all four of them. And so I'm not sure what Chris will cover, but I'll cover all four of them in Owasso. But the, the, that last one, It's just really clear. Jesus is greater than your greatest opposition. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. That's your opposition, right? And isn't isn't this a world, don't we live in a generation that loves to pass judgment? I mean, as much as we like to say, don't judge me. And as much as we like to say, well, doesn't the Bible say don't judge me? As much as we like to throw that out. Have you looked at Twitter recently? I mean, come on. Um, offense, outrage, and judgment. That's all social media appears to be at times. Offense, outrage, and judgment. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. It's just seems, it just seems like it's just there. Jesus is greater than uh, the enemy who stands against you, the opponent who lies about you, and the rulers who try to oppress you. He's greater than all of those things. 
And here's the thing I've noticed about the way people live, the way I live. I think it's the way you live too. Generally, the vast majority of people I know try to make the best decision they can based on the information available at the time, right? Isn't that how you make, isn't that how you make a decision? Should I buy this or should I buy that? Should I date him or should I date her? How do I raise my kids? Do I raise them like this or do I raise them like that? Do I get out today or do I not? Generally, people try to make the best decision they can based on the information available at the time, right? So why do we get it wrong so frequently? I won't make that a rhetorical question. Why do we get it wrong so frequently? If we're all trying, if everybody's just trying to do what's right for them, right? To make the best decision they can based on the information available at the time. Why do we get it wrong so frequently? Yeah. That's true. The heart is deceitful. It's, we're easily deceived and it's easy to lie. Those two things are true. That's right. Why else? Why else do we make those kinds of decisions? Why do we, why do we get it wrong when we're trying so hard to get it right? We don't know everything. We can't see every outcome, right? We just can't. Why else? Anybody else? Anybody in the cheap seats? <laughs> you guys are the warm ones, though. You've got heat up there, so that's good. That's good. Yeah. 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 I'm going to restate what you just said because I've been thinking about it because that's a that's a what you said is is great. That's that's 100% accurate. And here's the thing, if I were to say it really in concise way, Doing what you think is right is not the same thing as doing what is right, right? Doing what you think is right is not the same as doing what really is right. And you know what that tells me? It tells me there has to be an outside standard, right? If, if, if I think it's right, but I, but I end up wrong, doesn't that, doesn't that just show you? Doesn't that just prove that there's a standard outside of me, right, that's bigger than me? Jesus is greater than your greatest opposition. It shows that there's a standard outside of me. It's interesting. There's a philosopher. His name was Jean-Paul Zatra. Um, he wrote poetry and he was a philosopher. In one of his, in one of his plays, uh, one of the characters has a line in the play. And it's quoted often. You've probably heard it. Uh, Hell is other people. Um, <laughs> isn't that a great quote? Hell is other people. And he wasn't saying, I can't even. He wasn't saying... People are the worst. That's not what he meant when he said hell is other people. He was actually being like a philosopher, far more philosophical than that. Um, What he was saying is as soon as you have a second person show up, you have a second opinion show up. And as soon as there's a second opinion, that opinion can be evaluated. It can be tested. It can be tried. It can be proven to be effective or not effective. It actually can be proven to be right or wrong. When he says hell is other people, what he really means is that the fires of hell are ignited by the friction that takes place in the tension between two ideas, right? That's that's what he really means. 
And so it just proves once again that the standard for what is right can't possibly be within me because there's so much judgment coming from without me, right? Coming outside of me. And that's before you ever bring God into the equation, right? Before you ever bring God into the equation. I had a friend who used to tell me, and I think this is a valuable lesson for all of us, that it's impossible for us to live a life that's above accusation. We can't do it because any he would say, any idiot can hurl an accusation, right? Anyone can throw an accusation at you. But what we can do, if we're striving to remain free, that, that first idea, if we're, right, if we're striving to remain free, we can strive to live a life that's above reproach. And if you're living a life that's above reproach, then when the accusation comes, you may have to endure some ugliness. But when the accusation comes, it doesn't stay. And the reason it doesn't stay is because there are people outside of you going, yeah, that's not... I know them. That's not them. That's not how that works. That's not who they are. That's, that's not the way that works. Yet, being above reproach doesn't mean the accusation doesn't come. Jesus was above reproach. He wasn't just above reproach. He actually was perfect. He was the one who is the outside standard because he set the standard. And in setting the standard... Um, proved that he actually was the son of God and exactly who he said he was, yet he was still abused and lied about. He was still the one, the opponents still stood against him, and we, we still crucified him because we didn't really like what he had to say. Jesus is greater than your greatest opposition. And here's, I guess, the last piece I want us to see about that one idea is that sometimes your greatest opposition isn't external. It's not the other people who are trying to cast judgment. Sometimes your greatest opposition is you. You condemn yourself. You condemn your own heart. You actually try to stand in a place or put yourself in a position that's higher than Jesus, right? Because you shake your head and you think to yourself, how could a God of love love anyone like me? How could a perfect Savior and you just shake your head because you're looking at that one sin. And instead of spending your time focusing on him, you're focusing on that, which really means you're focusing on you. And the end result is your greatest opposition, your greatest opponent. It becomes you. It's really kind of a form of idolatry, right? It's the, an idol is a God you can control, right? So you're looking into yourself. You've made your standard higher than God's. And now you're standing in judgment over yourself hope you won't do that because we're not God, right? We don't stand in that place of judgment. And so here's what you do about it. Here's what you do about it. You, you surrender. That's the last idea. You just surrender. Surrender with Christ. Losing is your only guaranteed path to victory, right? It's your only guaranteed path to victory. Matthew 10 verse 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's this amazing idea. It's just this amazing idea that the, the path to win is to lose. It is to surrender to the truth of who God is. If, if we want to make better decisions, generally we try to make the best decision we can based on the information available at the time, we need better information. Who better to give us that information than God himself? He sees it all. Who better to help us understand who we are in light of who he is and in light of everyone else than him? Jesus is greater than your greatest opposition. So 
So surrender. And so I guess today the invitation would be nothing more or less than which of those est principles do you struggle with the most? And which of those actions do you need to put into place? Do you need to just relax? Do you need to surrender? Do you need to trust him more? Do you need to remain debt-free? Are you constantly giving in to the same temptation over and over again? Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, pass on. Which of those trips you up the most? Because I'm telling you, Jesus is greater than whatever's stopping you from surrendering to those things. So let's pray together. And after we pray, that'll be the end of our service. If you need to talk to me or anybody else here about any of these things, I'm right here and so does everyone else. I'm so thankful that we've gotten to do this today. And so let's pray together. And then once we finish praying, uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, I'm so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful that you're greater than all of these things in our lives. I pray that you would move in us, that you would move through us, and that you would do something that can't be explained because of us. I know I say that and pray that so often that sometimes it sounds cliche, but I really believe it and I hope you'll do it. And I pray that you'll help us to recognize that you are the greatest of all time and that we would constantly reflect the reality that you are the greatest in our hearts and our lives, that we would help other people to see you and to see that. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the time we've had together. Keep us safe as we try to get home. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.